Happy New Year. Or Father's Day, I guess uh, it is, isn't it? That's what it is. And it was some kind of holiday. Glad to see all of you here, especially if you uh, travel some distance to, to be together, father with children. We're glad to have you with us today. We know we've got a lot of folks who've gone the other direction to be with family, so, uh, so uh, it evens out, I guess. But glad that you're here uh, to worship with us, and we do hope you'll come back to worship with us on uh, many future occasions. Um, you will notice in the bulletin a word regarding Barbara Burnside Pennington. The memorial service for Barbara is this coming Saturday at 4 p.m. We invite you to be present for that. Uh, Roy Sheely had knee replacement surgery last week and will be moving to uh, rehab here shortly and getting back on his knees and feet. So we're grateful for that. Uh, Paula Brannon is also a patient in the local hospitals, and we ask your prayers for these folks as well. The youth are not meeting tonight, but they will be leaving very early on Wednesday to go to Carowinds. So we remind our young people of that. And uh, we remind you also of next Sunday afternoon's outing at Lake Cunningham uh, from 5 until 8. Uh, we ask you to bring um, a side or a dessert. The meat and the drinks will be provided by the church. So we look forward to your being out there with us next week. Let us now begin our time together in worship. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Amen.
Affirmation of Faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881 in your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and dead. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sit at the right hand of God the Father. From this he shall come to judge the quick and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the English saints, the goodness of sins, resurrection of the body, life everlasting. Hey, I wrote it down wrong, so I probably said it wrong. If I misspoke, you know, nobody makes mistakes anymore. We just misspeak. It's Paula Brown who is in the hospital. I didn't write that last name right on my paper, my bulletin, so I may have uh, messed up. Here now our Old Testament lesson uh, from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 15a, and then verse 18, one of the Great, great Old Testament stories about uh, Elijah. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent the messengers to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. 
When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the Mount of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 42 on page 777. Uh, let us stand as we're able and share this passage together responsively. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for you, O God. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night God's song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Like a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me?
seated, please. Our epistle reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Adam's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together for prayer. Lord, on this day when we celebrate the national holiday of Father's Day, we first of all give you thanks that you are a father to us. We're grateful that Jesus taught us to call you Father. And in some of his intimate moments with you, he even called you Daddy. And we're grateful, Lord, that as Jesus' brothers and sisters through faith, we might also draw near to your presence, knowing that you are the Heavenly Father who cares about all of us, even as tenderly as you cared about Jesus. That thought is pretty astonishing, and yet we read that it is true that we are your sons and daughters and that you value each and every one of us. And we are thankful for this. We're thankful that you so designed things so that you enable us to be fathers on earth as well. And those of us who have been blessed with that give you thanks for the privilege of being fathers and for those of us who were blessed to have wonderful dads, we give you thanks for that blessing as well. The memory of our good fathers is a very tender blessing to us, and we are truly grateful. And we pray that you would help us in our task of being fathers on earth. We're glad that you're there, Lord, to make up for the many deficiencies that are ours for we know that you must fill in the blanks and love our children in ways that we're not able to love and help them in ways we're not able to help. And we're thankful for this, that you do that. And Lord, we know that you call us to be not only brothers and sisters to one another, but there's always a task of mothering or fathering someone in the community that is not our biological offspring. But there are many that look to us as a parent figure. We pray your blessings upon us as we would be those that, that folks can turn to to find wisdom and guidance for their daily lives. And Lord, we're thankful for the good example of Elijah who even though he was a great and powerful prophet, was one who was human in so many ways. And we see from your tender father-like dealing with him how you come to us in times of difficulties to strengthen us. We pray that you would remind us today that you love us tenderly and carefully and that your patience with us is like that patience that you showed to the prophet. Lord, we've named those among others that need your prayer, your, your loving support in our prayers this day. We pray for these that you might touch their bodies and strengthen them, encourage those who might need your encouraging word, give faith to those that doubt, and hope to those who are in despair. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us worship God by giving.
We appreciate Rebecca Wirtz for her lovely music today. Rebecca is a recent high school graduate about to begin her studies at, uh, at Converse. So perhaps we should warn her about Walford. My wife, who was a music major at Converse, might like to warn you about Walford. I just will let you talk with her about that. But appreciate your being here with us today. Our gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. They sailed to the region of Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Then they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and, and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Here ends the lesson. If we were going to spend time on that passage today, I would uh, have to point out to you that this is the first case that we know of in all of history where there was deviled ham. I do appreciate your attention. <laughs> Today, though, we're going to be talking about, um, about Elijah, and uh, it's a, a wonderful story. Um, when I was at Walford, I had one professor that called the false god Baal and another one that called him Baal. I never knew what to call it. I'm going to go with Baal because it's easier for me to say than to sound like a sheep. But uh, this summer, as you travel in the mountains, I hope you will notice the obvious truth that there are mountains and valleys that exist side by side. And if your vacation takes you to the beach, I hope you will watch the waves and notice that there's a low spot, a trough in the... Um, in the sea between the waves. In our lives, that's the way it is too. It seems that highs and lows travel in pairs in our lives. Often moments of exuberance will be followed by times of low spirits. Great temptation and fear can come upon us immediately after a great moment of triumph. That certainly was true with one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah. Elijah lived in the 7th century BC, shortly after the breakup of the nation into rival kingdoms of Judah and Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel was one that was filled with political intrigue as 
Kings were dethroned and assassinated even and replaced in fairly rapid succession, while in the southern kingdom of Judah, the sons of David gave a great deal of stability, ruling there for many, many generations. But Israel in the north quickly turned away from following the law of Moses, and the people turned to following and worshiping the pagan fertility gods that they believed were responsible for good harvests year by year. Elijah found himself as one of the few prophets who would dare challenge the people or their king to abandon that practice and return to the Lord. And that did not make him a very popular figure, especially with the political establishment. The Old Testament lesson that we read today tells a, a story in Elijah's life that had to be a very low moment. But it came literally on the heels of one of his highest moments. He had just successfully challenged some false prophets to a spiritual duel. duel. Two sacrifices were prepared. Elijah challenged the prophets of the god Baal to convince their god to send fire to consume their sacrifice. And he said he would ask the God of Israel to do the same. Whichever God responded was the real God, they all agreed. The prophets of Baal, or Baal, <laughs> prayed all day but got no response. Meanwhile, Elijah prepared the Lord's altar. He poured water all over the wood so that it soaked it and filled even a trench that he had dug around the altar. And he prayed that God would send fire upon the altar. The scripture records that the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water from the trench. It boiled away all the water. In other words, that was one more terrific fire. The people returned to the Lord in faith and said, He alone is God, and they worshiped him. And in keeping with the practices of that era, which by today's standards would be viewed as very, very brutal, Elijah had the false prophets put to death. For this action, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were determined to exact revenge upon Elijah. And so from that very high moment of spiritual victory, there came an almost immediate low point of tremendous fear for Elijah, and he went into hiding. He was afraid and ran for his life. Now, there are several things about Elijah's retreat that are worthy of note. First of all, how could it be that a mighty prophet of God who had just successfully seen fire call down from heaven, how would he become a person filled with fear and doubt? How could that be possible? But isn't that just the way it is? Haven't you had times when you felt like you were more than a conqueror through Christ and the next day you wondered if you had any faith left at all? Only one man who ever lived managed to keep his faith on an even keel always, and that was Jesus. The rest of us find that we can almost walk on water one moment and almost drown the next. Elijah, that great prophet with great faith, was melted by fear and terror, and he ran for his life. Fear has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? It saps away all the strength that faith tries to give us. Therefore, fear is probably the greatest enemy that faith can ever have. The next time fear comes upon you and destroys your faith, take comfort in the fact that one who was as strong as Elijah was scared to death. A second interesting fact about this retreat is that early on, Elijah decided to separate himself from his servant. When we separate ourselves from our trusted friends and travel alone into spiritual battles, we have given up one of the greatest resources that we will ever find for our faith battles, fellowship with a kindred spirit. When your journey takes you from the mountain of faith into the valley of the shadow of death. You would be very wise not to separate yourself from Christian fellowship as Elijah did. That's why we exist as a church, my friends, 
so that we, none of us, have to ever be alone in our battles. Thirdly, Elijah was tired. He was worn out. The fact that he slept so long, awakening only to eat some food which was mysteriously prepared for him, is one of the ways that we know that he is tired. But the words that he spoke also speak of his fatigue. Did you hear what he said, this great man of God? I've had enough, Lord. I'm ready to quit. I just want to die. Take me home, Lord, for I really am no better than my faithless kinsmen. Have you ever reached such a low point in your life of hopelessness that caused you to ask God just to end your life, to take you on home? If you have, then take comfort from the experiences of Elijah, a man of God if ever there was one, and yet a man who was driven by fear and fatigue to want to give up and just die. The depths of Elijah's fear can be heard in the litany of fear that he proclaims twice to God. Did you listen when I read? He says, woe is me. I have been faithful and zealous for the Lord God Almighty while the rest of the Israelites have turned their backs on the covenant with God. They've torn down all of the Lord's altars and put God's prophets to death. I am all alone now. The only believer left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Often fear has a way of distorting our vision, causing us to th see things far worse than they really are. Like, a, like Elijah, we develop a fortress mentality and run off to hide in a cave somewhere. From time to time during my years in the ministry, I've often heard this same cry coming up from various segments within the United Methodist Church. Woe is me. We are the only ones left who really believe the Bible. We're the only ones in the church that really believe in Jesus. Everybody else has gone off or been run off. And now we're the only ones left. I've also heard this same refrain from time to time in American politics dating back to the 70s. We're the only ones left who believe in democracy and free enterprise. We're the only ones that really believe in the Constitution. Everybody else has become a socialist or a communist. My group is the only group of real Americans left. And then we hunker down for the fight. There are some folks out there, both in the church and in our society, who are glad to use fear tactics on us in hopes of manipulating us. If I believed one-tenth of the email that I received from the people in all the churches where I've served, I would dig a hole in my backyard and crawl inside of it and then pull the hole in on top of myself. I am collecting some of these absurd emails. Um, my favorite, I think, that I've found is, is a, an absolute falsehood that says that President Bush tried to get uh, Stevie... Um, uh, Walker, Stevie, Wonder, there it is. When you ad lib, you get in trouble. Stevie Wonder, that President Bush waved to try to get uh, Stevie Wonder's attention. Well, of course, Stevie Wonder's blind, and that wouldn't work, but the whole idea was to make Bush look bad. Um, and, and I knew better than to believe the 2004 email that said that President Bush had decided to call off the 2004 elections to suspend the Constitution and to call off the election. I suspect that John Kerry wishes that had been the case, but it wasn't. Everybody has turned their back on the covenant with God. They've all torn down all of the Lord's altars. They've put all of God's prophets to death. I'm all alone now. And now they're trying to kill me too. When Elijah felt this way, did you hear what the Lord said? Go back where you came from, Elijah. Get out of this cave that you're hiding in and go back to the desert of Damascus. You're not alone. 
I still have a perfectly huge number of people, and that's what 7,000 meant, a perfectly huge number of people in Israel who have remained faithful to me, who have not bowed down their knee to the false gods. God gave Elijah a dose of reality that chased away his fears and said, things aren't as bad as you're imagining. And very soon we find Elijah back at work standing face to face and toe to toe with the king who was his enemy. He heard the word of God. It wasn't as bad as he feared. The way that God dealt with Elijah is truly wonderful to see. And it gives us an idea of how God will deal with us. First, God allowed Elijah to get plenty of rest and nourishment. Sometimes when you're just emotionally and spiritually exhausted, you need to stop trying to figure things out and just go to sleep. Take a nap. Stop worrying. You'll feel better when you wake up. Eat and rest was the first thing God allowed of this man of God. And then God called Elijah to travel for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a biblical phrase that means it's a long journey and you go as long as it takes to get there. He had to travel a long way, as long as it took, to get to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, or as it's also known, Mount Sinai. When you are spiritually spent, get some rest, and then go to that place where you know that you will encounter God again, even if you have to travel a very long way. When he arrived at the mountain of God, Elijah hid in a cave, and God summoned him promising him that he would experience the presence of God because God was coming by, passing by. So Elijah got ready to meet God. What followed was, first of all, a visitation from some forces of nature that are often associated with divine activity. First, there was a powerful tornadic wind that tore the mountain apart, shattering the rocks, the word wind and the word spirit in Hebrew is the same word, but Elijah realized that this wasn't God passing by in this wind. It was just a strong storm. God was not in the storm. Next, a violent earthquake shook the mountain, probably causing some of those shattered rocks to avalanche down the hill. Surely this was the Lord's presence, but Elijah said it was not. The Lord was not in the earthquake. Just when it got still again, a great wildfire raced up the mountain, burning everything in its path. Picture the fire that blazes up the mountains in California during the Santa Ana winds. It was that kind of a, of a storm of a, of a fire. Maybe God is an all-consuming fire, but again, Elijah knew that this fire wasn't God's presence God was not in the fire. Then after the wind was gone and the earthquake was gone and the fire was gone, it got perfectly quiet. So quiet that you could hear the faintest whisper. That peace and calm that followed the storm, that's where the Lord is, Elijah said, and he came out of the cave to meet the Lord. Isn't it funny and strange how our insurance policies call earthquakes, fires, floods, and tornadoes, and hurricanes acts of God? Who would have ever thought that Elijah teaches us that the peace that comes at the end of the long dark night are the whispered chirpings of the crickets after a thunderstorm? Those are the acts of God. That's where God is found. That's where we too can find God in the peace that follows the storm. So the next time a strong wind of pain knocks you down, or a fiery trial burns your faith, or an earthquake of trouble knocks you off your feet, instead of blaming God for sending these troubles your way, instead, go to a place of quiet and peace where you can hear God say to you, I was not in that wind or that earthquake, or that fire that came upon you. But I am present with you now in the peace and quiet of this moment. And I will help you put your life back together. God's calming presence reassures us 
And the fear that has been driving us is stilled as faith begins to return. Elijah lost his fear and went back to work. And he heard God say to him, go back to work. And God gave him a job of going and anointing some new kings of Aram and Israel and training a new prophet in Israel. God comes to us after we are restored from our fear into faith saying, return to where you were and return to what you were doing for me. Don't be afraid. Busy yourself in the work of my kingdom. The Lord is in that peaceful silence that often follows a storm. Amen. Thank you.